Welcome to the Hometown Pastor Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Regetz, and I'm so glad that you've decided to listen. This is episode three of the first season, which is all about leading churches through change with the prophet Elijah. Uh, And so far, we've followed Elijah's first encounters with King Ahab, and we talked about setting realistic expectations for how you're going to be received as you work to transform your congregation. And then we also followed Elijah out to Kareth Brook, where we talked about moving slowly, being fed by God's hand, and loving the church you already have, rather than the one that only exists in your head. And today, we pick up the story as the water at Kareth Brook finally runs dry. Elijah had been eating what the ravens brought him for some time now, when the word of the Lord comes to him, saying, Get up and go to Zarephath in Sidon. I've instructed a woman who lives there, a widow, to feed you. And so Elijah follows that call, and he goes to Zarephath. And when he arrives, sure enough, he finds a widow at the entrance to the village. But when he asks her for food and water, she says, I swear, as surely as your God lives, I don't have so much as a biscuit. I have a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a bottle. You found me scratching together just enough firewood to make a last meal for my son and for me, and after we eat it, we'll die. God promised to provide, but when Elijah first arrives, It's not real clear how that's going to happen. And it would be real easy for Elijah to assume that God made some sort of mistake, or to imagine that he heard God incorrectly. But for some unknown reason, perhaps only an internal sense of call, Elijah is undeterred. He says to the woman, Don't worry about a thing. Go ahead and do what you've said. But first, make a small biscuit for me and bring it back here. Then go ahead and make a meal from what's left for you and your son. This is the word of the God of Israel. The jar of flour will not run out, and the bottle of oil will not become empty before God sends rain on the land and ends this drought. And sure enough, the woman follows his instructions, And the flour and the olive oil provide everything they need to get to the drought's end. Elijah shows up where God called him to go, but it's not exactly what he imagined. And yet, rather than looking at what isn't there and choosing to despair, Elijah sees what has already been provided, and somehow he trusts in God's ability to multiply it. As you begin this work of leading change, even with proper expectations and a realistic timeline, perhaps you relate to Elijah's predicament. Maybe you've shown up where you were called to go, and you've taken your time, and you've trusted in God, but it still looks like there's not enough to provide a way forward. Because every move you make as you work for change in the church does require time and energy. And maybe the people who made you their pastor are already exhausted 
from keeping things together in that time before you arrived. Sure, they want to see transformation, but like the widow of Zarephath, they don't have much of anything left to give. And so you're looking around, wondering how God expects all of you to move forward. And what I want to suggest is that the answer might be with flour and olive oil. When it comes to leading change, you do have to move slowly, but you also need to choose wisely. Because the people you're leading only have so much energy, and you only have so much energy. And burning everybody out won't help anything. So you don't just have to figure out when to change. You also have to figure out what to change first. And the truth is, changing what's broken or starting from scratch is always going to be more difficult than building on the things you already have. And I think initially, the changes themselves do matter. But what matters even more is proving to your congregation that they're capable of change. Because a lot of these churches, especially the smaller ones, they've been beaten down over the years. And even if they want to see some new growth, they're probably struggling to believe that it's even possible. So the same way that you wouldn't advise somebody who just started running that they should run a marathon tomorrow, well, you can't expect a church who hasn't practiced the work of change to suddenly transform everything overnight. So rather than starting from scratch or attempting to fix something that needs a whole lot of work, perhaps the best thing to do is to work with what you already have. Finding whatever flour and olive oil you've already been given and trusting in God's ability to multiply it even while you're still facing the drought. When I first started in the place I am now, a small church, pre-merger, in desperate need of transformation, there were plenty of changes that needed to be made. The website had out-of-date information, stock images that didn't represent the congregation, and overly loud organ music that began playing when you first arrived at the landing page. We had no singers and no musicians having to settle for an organ that played recorded organ music and then relying on me as the new pastor to carry the vocals, which I'm telling you, nobody wants. And the facilities had all kinds of logistical issues. There was a lack of accessibility, a flooding basement, and a restroom and classrooms that were in a completely separate building from the sanctuary. And for some of you in warm weather climates, well, that might work. But I'm telling you, it certainly doesn't work in Chicago winters. <laughs> and all that's to say nothing of the church's financial situation. So we had a lot working against us, and we had a lot that was missing. Some Sundays, we'd have less than 10 in worship, 
and the people that we did have were already exhausted from holding everything together despite all these challenges. But even still, there were a few gifts that we already possessed. Because even with our difficulties, we had people who wouldn't quit just because things were hard. We had a ministry to the community that operated out of our building, a food pantry that fed nearly a hundred families each month in a town of only 4,000 people. And we also had this generous orthodoxy that allowed us to share our space with the entire community and work together with our siblings in Christ who worshiped in churches that didn't hold all of our same beliefs. We had our challenges, but we also had a handful of flour and a little bit of olive oil. So while we couldn't handle a dramatic transformation that would be filled with major conflicts, we could ask God to multiply these things that already worked. And so at first, I didn't lead with big dramatic changes. Instead, I did the things that wouldn't ruffle any feathers. First, I learned how to use Squarespace and I updated the website because nobody had some great attachment to the old one. But then I tried to build on those things we were already doing well. I made sure we participated even more in the ecumenical things, the ecumenical vacation Bible school, and I preached at the ecumenical fairground service, and I pushed for even more engagement with the other churches in our community. We had Thanksgiving services and Lenten services and whatever else we could manage. And then I pushed our congregation to give the already operating food pantry more space and more funds and more encouragement from our own congregation. And all of those changes, they had a little bit of cost. They required giving up some square footage or some small amount of money, or maybe they meant giving up the way we've always done things. But while that was slightly uncomfortable, it's not like it was really painful. And it wasn't filled with conflict, which meant that we could manage those changes and we could celebrate them together, even if we were all a little tired. And those initial changes, well, they didn't drastically alter the course of our congregation, but they did demonstrate that we were capable of change. And they reminded everybody that we already had some unique gifts. And they helped me point again and again to the God who was capable of multiplying them. So I don't know what your congregation's gifts look like. I don't know what your flour and olive oil is, but I do trust that it's there because the truth is Jesus is always at work in some way in every place which means the question you need to ask yourself is what he's already doing in the place you find yourself today maybe he's showing up in a few encouraging saints who can become the people you lean on as you lead the way forward maybe he's showing up in a particular ministry 
that's already functional, but could be even better with a few small changes. Or maybe he's showing up through the sense of authenticity and care that your congregants already show to one another, even if they need some help figuring out how to extend that sense of community outside the church walls. I don't know what your flower and olive oil is. I don't know what reliable thing you can help strengthen and keep coming back to. But I do know that if you want to lead long-term change, you need to start searching for it now. Because you'll need something to anchor your church as this process unfolds. And the people you lead will need something to remind them that God's power is already here, and his offer of transformation is not just available to others. So rather than worrying about all the things you don't have, perhaps you can take some wisdom from Elijah and start searching for what God has already given you. And you can begin praying that he would multiply those gifts in the days ahead. Because if I tried to transform everything that needed to be changed in that first year, or even if I just tried to tackle a few of our biggest hurdles, well, I honestly think I would have fallen flat on my face. Because these people didn't have a reason to trust me yet. Because they were just worn out from trying to keep the church alive. And that didn't mean they were incapable of change. It just meant we had to stick with flour and olive oil for a little while longer. So even if you can't transform things all at once, and you can't fix all the problems today, don't get discouraged. Because you can still focus on what your church already does well. And you can keep coming back to it. You can find and strengthen your church's core identity. And you can practice change in small ways together while you remind your community that God is not done with them yet. Because you may not have a ton to work with. You may not have all the resources you would like, but you do have something. Maybe it's not a four course meal, but you do have some flour, and some olive oil. And maybe that's not everything you want to eat for the rest of time, but with God's help, it can be enough to see you through to the end of this drought. So if you're struggling with this change process, ask Jesus to open your eyes to the gifts your congregation already possesses. And then work to strengthen those things which God has already given you while you start working towards smaller changes at the edges. It won't be easy, but if you just keep at it, eventually the people you lead will actually start to believe that with God's help, the future really could be different. And if you want to see your church transformed, well, that alone is half the battle. So find your flour and your olive oil. Instead of focusing on all the things you don't have, start figuring out what's already there. And then keep on praying 
while God stretches that little bit you already possess into something so much more. Thanks for listening to this third episode of the Hometown Pastor Podcast. Please like the social media pages on Facebook and Twitter, and please share this episode with all the other small church leaders that you know. And make sure to check out the website, hometownpastor.com, for a whole bunch of other helpful resources. And until next time, may God bless you and keep you as you continue to lead the